Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We began this series 26 weeks ago, and as we, we launched into the this, this story series, we've seen a couple of things transpire week after week. And the first thing is this, that we see God from the very beginning. God is the sovereign creator and ruler over everything. God is, the, God is the one in charge. He's calling the shots. He's the one who's, who's determining what happens, when it happens, and how it happens. And God is the, the, the centerpiece of, of, of this whole story. Humankind is not the centerpiece. God is the centerpiece and the main actor in every single story. But we also see this, that, hum, that humanity, created in God's image and valuable to God and precious to God, is rebellious. And so every week we see how, how we have rebelled against God and turned against God and have decided to go our own way, do our own things, and the repercussions of that are brokenness and hardship and separation from God because of our sin. But lastly, we see this as well, that this glorious and majestic creator, sovereign ruler of the universe has determined to save and redeem a people for himself that he's not left us on our own, that he has pursued a people who are bent on rejecting and turning away from him, that God in all of his glory and majesty would say, you know what, I am on mission to redeem the very people who've turned against me and have forgotten about me. And I'm going to make, it is my sovereign choice to, to come and save and redeem and pursue a people who've gone their own way. That is the glory of Almighty God in what he's doing in saving and redeeming not only a people, but all of creation. All of creation is going to be affected by the redemption of Jesus Christ. So last week, we, we looked at Jesus Christ. We've, we've now entered the New Testament, and we've got a few weeks to go, but we've entered the New Testament with Jesus Christ, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. For people who are... Who are in bondage and enslaved to sin, Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the way of salvation. I am the answer to all the problems. I am the one who's come to bring redemption for people who don't even know what redemption looks like. But I am the one who's going to bring about a great redemption. So Jesus Christ enters, and in Mark chapter 8, as Jesus begins to unfold God's plan of salvation to the disciples, he begins to tell them, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be uh, betrayed, I'm going to be, uh, suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And what happens is, is, is the disciples are taking this in, they begin to hear from Jesus, who is, Jesus has been, in, been teaching the crowds, he's been healing people, he's been casting out demons, and all of a sudden he begins to talk about this suffering and this death, and the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. It says that Jesus is talking to him plainly, but the disciples are like, no, we want none of this. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. See, the, the message of the cross, according to 1 Corinthians, it says the message of the cross is, is foolishness. This idea that God Almighty, the sovereign Lord, would, would come to earth and give himself as a ransom for sin makes no sense to people. It's hard to even comprehend. Why would God do that? 
How could God do that? Are we even that, are we even that like, bad off without him? Because we're not even aware of the depravity that we have apart from God. It's foolishness to people. And the disciples are, are, are showing that. Like, no, man, there's no way it's going to take place that way. There's no way it's going to happen that way. But Jesus says plainly, this is the plan of God. That for all of eternity, since the beginning of time, the way of salvation is not through following the law, it's not through obeying the Ten Commandments and becoming right with God on our own, it's Jesus Christ coming on our behalf and giving us His righteousness and taking upon Himself our sin. That's the way of salvation. That's God's plan for all time. This week, as we, we enter into week chapter 26, in the storybook, we, it, it follows through to the end of the, the, the cross narrative. We're not going to go that far this morning. I, this story's been a really great experience for us. These chapters, they, they put so much in there. So next week, we're going to kind of do a bit of a double week. But this week, we're going to, only, we're going to get to Jesus and Pilate. Okay, so we're not going to go through the whole chapter this week, but next week we're going to kind of condense some things. So this morning, what I want us to focus on is this, is that in the midst of God being in control, we're going to look at what, the way Jesus is loving and caring for his disciples. Because the same way in which Jesus is caring for his disciples then is the way, same way in which Jesus is caring for and preparing his disciples today. Nothing's changed in the way that Jesus is loving and caring for his people. So we see this happening in this, in this section. And what happens in this chapter in particular is this, that we've had a, this season of Jesus Christ going through the land and teaching and caring for people and sitting on mountainsides and teaching in this kind of like a, a, maybe a bit of a slower pace. Well, this morning we're going to get to the the, the time where Jesus eats with his disciples, and it's this time of reflection, and Jesus preparing his disciples, and then from there, the tsunami hits, and it just takes off at this rapid, rapid pace. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus was doing with his disciples, but then we're going to kind of just breeze through this rapid pace of what's happening. Now, when I'm teaching our kids how to ride a bike, right, when we're teaching our kids how to ride, the idea is, is that in the kids' minds at least, is if I go really slow as I learn to ride a bike, I'll have more control. Because the faster you go, the more out of control you're going to get. But what, the, what kids don't understand is that you have to be going at a certain speed to be able to stand up on the bike. You can't go one mile an hour on the bike and stay, stay up on the bike. You have to go a decent speed, right? Well, it can feel that way with this, is because just because it's going fast doesn't mean it's out of control. Right, So in this story, it's going to feel like things are out of control for the disciples and for, maybe even for Jesus. It's not the case. God is still in control. I think the same way in our own lives. It can feel like, well, if things are going too fast, if things are really, I feel like I'm out of control, it doesn't mean that God isn't yet still in control. So Jesus sits down with his disciples for a Passover meal. That's where we're going to camp out today. And then from there, they move to the garden. In the garden, Jesus is praying, and Judas shows up with his boys and arrests Jesus, just like Jesus said would happen. From there, Jesus is brought to the high priest and is rejected and beaten, just like he said was going to happen. 
From there, Peter denies Jesus, just like Jesus said was going to happen. And then Jesus is brought to the Roman governor, Pilate, just like Jesus said was going to happen. Jesus is in control in the midst of this. And in all of this, in his last moments with his disciples, how is Jesus still in control? How is he caring for and loving his disciples? Let's, let's begin in John chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 17, or for in your stories, page 267. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love this section because it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus Christ loved them to the end. What did love look like in that moment? Having loved them to the end, what did that love look like at the very last moment, the last sitting with his disciples? Of all the things he probably could have shared with his disciples, of all the, the mysteries of the universe that he could have unfolded to his disciples or, or whatever else he could have told his disciples in that moment, knowing that this was the last time with them, what does Jesus Christ do to reveal his love and care for his disciples? He got up from his meal, took off his coat, took a towel, and began washing the feet of the disciples. Now, 
this isn't feet washing like we would think about feet washing today, okay? There's a bin of towels behind this wall, behind me here. And on the bin, it says feet washing towels, okay? The one thing the previous churches have left us when we bought this building was an insane amount of wireless mics <laughs> and a huge bin of, of towels to wash people's feet, okay? It's not like today like it was then. See, the roads were unsurfaced and unclean, right? The dry weather, there was inches of dust in the, in the rainy season. There would be just, just tons of mud. The shoes that they wore were just basic sandals, just a, a flat sole with a few straps to hold them on. And at the door of a house, they would, they would have large water pots, that were used for servants to wash the feet of people who would come into the home. And so the feet would become very dirty, very calloused. They weren't, you didn't have nice boots, you didn't have nice shoes walking through these roads. It was just, your feet were exposed. But the feet of the guest and the washing of the feet of someone was really only done by a slave. It wasn't done by just anybody. It would have been carried out by a slave, especially during a feast season. The slaves would have been in charge of washing the feet of the people who were the guests. And so Jesus here traveled with a group of guys, and they didn't have any slaves with them or any servants to, to bring with them on this journey. And so the responsibilities of washing each other's feet would have fallen to one or two of the guys who would have taken up the responsibility to care for the other members of their group. Now, when I was in Africa two years ago with Brian Hogelworth, it was this really, it was a really cool thing that they did, is that before every meal, whether you are in the home or out in the field or wherever you were, before you ate a meal, someone would come around with a pitcher of water in a basin, and they would pour the, gently pour the water over your hands, and you would just kind of wash your hands in the water. When there's no running water, this is as, as good as it gets. And so this is a way in which you not only wash your hands, but it was a it really felt like it was a symbol of the people who were hosting you were, were caring for you. They're looking after your needs. They were providing a service for you. So it was like this, it was a bit of like a sacred moment almost, where the, 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 the guests of the home would come and, and pour this, this water over your hands. And it didn't matter if it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It happened every meal because it was important. In the same way with Jesus Christ in his last moments with his disciples, what does he do? He washes their feet. See, no one else was willing to do it. Someone should have done it by now. One of the guys should have said, hey, look, I'll do this. No one was willing. In Luke's gospel, it talks about an argument that arises amongst the disciples in the supper about who's the greatest. When you're arguing about who, who's the greatest, you're not washing people's feet. So here the disciples are, gathered together, and Jesus says, I am willing and able to do for you what none of you are willing or able to do. I'm going to care for you in such a way that is absolutely humiliating. Look, the rabbi, the teacher, he wasn't the guy who washed his disciples' feet. It was the job of the disciple to care for the people in the group. But here Jesus, the rabbi, the son of God, comes and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. 
And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. That is what Jesus Christ was. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, you can read this literally, right? You can, there's feet washing stuff, supplies, behind this wall. Bins of it. And that's one way to care for people. But what I think what Jesus Christ is getting at isn't necessarily introducing a ceremony of feet washing, but a, a way in which we care and love and, and provide for people where they're at. When we brought in this, these past, this past month, when we brought in Silent Guashavanu and Francis and the other guys from all over the, over, all over the country, it was really expensive. As a matter of fact, to bring, to, we sponsored Silent. Silent was our guy that we sponsored. It cost $5,000 to bring him over. When you start factoring airplane tickets, he's got to get a visa, whatever passport things he needs to get. When you start talking about just, you know, he's got everything that took place. And on top of that, we want to send him back with a gift. We don't want to just come here, serve and preach his guts out, and then go back empty-handed. We want to give him a little something to go back with to his family because they had to go without dad or husband for two weeks, maybe even longer than that. So we sent him back with a little gift. Now, what I did is, as a church, we didn't have $5,000 laying around. So I went to two guys, I pulled in my office, I said, look, we need $5,000. Would you guys be willing to split the cost and each pony up and put in $2,500 for the sake of this church so we would be able to benefit from that? Now, one of those guys was Adam Kern. Okay, and you may or may not know this, but Adam was engaged a week or two ago. Praise God. But, see, the, the money that he was going to use for a ring went to silent. And so he had to work his job nine to five, getting paid a great wage at Leap Supply. <laughs> and then at night what he would do is he would get in a taxi cab and drive in Chicago as a taxi cab driver to save money for a ring. Because the money he spent that would have gone to a ring, he spent for us, for silent, so that we could benefit, all of us, from that sacrifice. Not only that, but we could send silent back with something to benefit his family with. Silent, you're not coming back empty-handed. I'm going to be a blessing to you and your family. Well, your wife and children will be cared for. I think he washed our feet. He didn't have, we didn't have, he didn't have $10. We asked him to give five, and he has five left to go do whatever he wants. He gave it all. And that's, so now he's riding a cab. He's driving a cab so that we could receive the benefit and the blessing of his sacrifice. Even as we speak right now, there are people in children's ministry who are teaching our precious children about the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ in a way that is, that is plain to them, is simple to them, with crafts and songs and all kinds of stuff. 
they're doing that as a blessing to us. They're not up here. They may have sat with their, they may have sat at home with their kids all week long and took care of them. And then on Sunday, they have an opportunity to come to church, to receive from the word and to sing and then go home. But instead, they say, you know what, instead of that, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve, continue to serve downstairs with the kids. I'm going to give up my time and they wash our feet as we sit here and listen to the word. And there's numerous ways. People making meals for other people, having hospitality. There, there's a number of things that, that are taking place. But I'll highlight that. Because how does Jesus carry on his ministry today? What does that look like today? How does Jesus wash our feet today? He does it through, you, through one another. He does it through Adam Kern giving up the money that he could have spent for a ring so that we could bring over silent and be blessed from silent and be a blessing to him as well. It happens by us being able to sit here and enjoy God's word together and not having to worry about our children or what's going on, but they're in a safe place with, with God's word being proclaimed to them as well. That's Jesus Christ caring for us through the hands of the children's ministry workers. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ continuing on in our midst today. And it's exactly what Jesus says, just as I've done for you, I want you to do for other people. It's the kindness of Jesus Christ. So here Jesus is. He's loving and caring for his disciples. But see, the thing is, it doesn't stop there. Because Jesus Christ could have just said, okay, that's great. I've set for you an example. Let's get on to the, the garden. Let's, let's, let's get this thing going here. But he doesn't do that because the disciples are troubled. They're worried. And so Jesus Christ says, look, so let's, let's continue on. Jesus now is, he's in control. He's caring for his disciples. He's loving his disciples. But he makes promises to them as well because he's caring for them, not just in the moment, but beyond when he's, when he's, crucified and risen again. Let's begin reading in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 17, or if you're in your story, page 369. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, has, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want to pause for just a second here because the main, this is the, the main point of the text, but I want to say this. He rules out in this age of religious pluralism, right? Can we just all get, get along? Can we all just, all roads lead kind of in the same direction to God? And can we all just, you know, respect one another's beliefs in a way that we wouldn't have to preach or to declare Jesus is the only truth because there's lots of truth. Jesus Christ is making exclusive claims here. He's not opening the door for all the other religions. He's saying, look, 
This is the only one. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's one road that leads to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not, not, many, not one of many truths or many lives or many ways. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth is a beautiful Trinitarian chapter. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you, what is yet to come. See, Jesus is leaving, but he's not leaving us alone. The task ahead is difficult, and he understands that. He says, look, there are difficult days ahead, and you're worried, and you're fearful, and maybe rightly so, because there's some things that are going to take place that are going to blow your mind. But don't worry. I have made provision for you. See, he's sending the Holy Spirit And Jesus describes him as an advocate, a helper. And the word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, there isn't a direct translation between the the word that Jesus uses in the English translation. So you almost have to give a kind of a bit of a fuller translation to what this word helper means. So I just want to just break this down just briefly because it really unpacks this idea of a helper or an advocate. So the word that Jesus uses is a paraclete or paracletos. It really means someone who is called in, but it is the reason why the person is called in, which gives the word its distinctive associations. The Greeks use the word in a wide variety of ways. A paracletos might be a person called in to give witness in a law court on someone's favor. He might be an advocate called in to plead the cause of someone under a charge which would give issue in a serious penalty. He might be an expert called in to give advice on some difficult situation. He might be a person called in when, for example, a company of soldiers were depressed and dispirited to put new courage in their minds and hearts. Always a paracletos is someone called in 
to help in a time of trouble or need. He takes away our inadequacies and enables us to cope with life. The Holy Spirit substitutes victorious for defeated living. And he is still doing this today. It's not a different Holy Spirit in them that he's given to us today. See, the disciples had, a, had an unbelievable, unbelievable mission to bring the good news of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem on to the rest of the world. He says, in order for you to be able to do that, that's not something you do on your own strength or in your own ability. I'm going to make provision for you. I'm going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God's presence into your life to empower and equip you to do the things that are not possible in your own strength to do. I'm going to make provision for you in every possible way that whatever I've called you to do, you'll be empowered and enabled to do what I've called you to do so you're not doing it in your own strength. This is Jesus caring for his, his disciples. This is beautiful. When I think about the love and compassion and care of Jesus Christ, in these last moments when he has every opportunity to be really kind of focus on himself and say, guys, give me a break here. I'm about ready to go to the cross, be betrayed, beaten, humiliated, spit upon. And here you guys are arguing about who's the greatest and, and no one's washing the feet and all these things. Here Jesus is caring and ministering and loving his disciples in the midst of all their flaws. What hope is there for us? that even in the midst of our, our mess, even in the midst of our mess of our lives, he says, I'm going to promise you the Holy Spirit that no matter what you've done or where you've gone, I'm going to send my spirit, my presence to be with you and in you, to fill you and equip you and empower you to do whatever I've called you to do. There's nothing that God has called you or I to do that through his spirit we are unable to do. In our own strength, it is absolutely impossible. But through the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit living in us, he's given us the grace and the strength to be able to minister in every possible situation. It is the goodness and care of Jesus Christ over us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't left us on our own. He hasn't said, okay, now go figure it out. He's given us his Holy Spirit to care for us. This is the glorious Jesus Christ whom we worship. We sing these songs this morning, these glorious songs about Jesus Christ. And now we begin to read about the way that he loves his people, the way that he loves his church, the way that he loves us, cares for us. I want this to fuel a sense of worship to him. He's calling us still on today. See, he's calling us to continue on the mission that he inaugurated with his disciples. And so we have actually have a few opportunities this, this coming year. Bolivia twice and India in the fall. These are, in a lot of ways, these are difficult trips. India, definitely. Bolivia, not so much, but definitely going to be tough. 
but he's not sending us on our own. He's saying, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit with you to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ wherever you go. We're getting involved with international students at Purdue Cal. And as we do this, he's not asking us to go out to Purdue Cal and, 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 and reach international students with the good news of Jesus Christ in our own strength. He's equipping us and giving us strength to do that. I want to encourage you to begin to ask Jesus Christ, Lord, how do I get involved? In what ways are you calling me to actively participate in this? Big or little. But either way, you have equipped and empowered me to go forth with that kind of grace and strength. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we confess our need for you this morning. Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us this morning, to empower us, to continue to walk in, in your ways and follow after you as your disciples. Lord, we've tried on our own and we have failed. But Lord, we, we this morning come to you and ask you to give us the grace and the strength, Lord, to go forth to be able to care for the people around us. Lord, to, to give even when it's, it's hard, to wash feet even when we don't want to, to go on missions or support or whatever it may be, God, that you're calling us to. Bring international students into our homes. God, there's so often we don't feel like it or we're too busy or we've got stuff going on and God, we ask that you would give us your grace. Give us your heart. God, give us your, your Holy Spirit to fill us and equip us and strengthen us. Jesus, thank you that you've made a way for us. Jesus, thank you that you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.